Welcome to the Drivable Podcast, where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you go back and listen to episode six and seven. In episode six, we met Nev. Nev was an awesome guy. Um, we basically learned about his drive to uh, raise money to help fight uh, the fight against MS. Um, and it was a great episode live from the side of the Summathon with Brad. Um, and then in episode seven, we dug deep and we reflected and, um, and had some great, uh, I guess, discussion about uh, when's the right time to make the decisions of, uh, you know, um, moving forward in terms of having progressive disease and, you know, when to start using, if you'd like, devices and things like that. So it was a great discussion and, um, yeah, go out and check it out. Yeah, I really love that episode. G'day, Ellie. Um, we're, today we're doing episode eight. We've got another interview today. Uh, today we are going to interview Eli, Eli Mern, who's um, our special guest. He's got a very interesting story about how his driving changed uh, quite significantly. He had a motor vehicle accident, but we'll let him introduce that on the other side of this break. Uh, it's a wonderful story and what he's using it now to do is to motivate others. So I can't wait to meet him. Ali, you ready to go? Yep, super ready. Let's do this. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has an altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. The Drive Able podcast unpacks the world of driving with a disability so you can experience the freedom that you desire. I'm Brad and with me is Ali, and together we have over 30 years of experience in driving and disability. Enough with the intros, let's get into it. Okay, in this episode, we are talking to Eli. And Eli, it's not just you. We've also got your partner, Alison, as well. Um, and thank you very much for both of you joining us. Um, Eli, do you want to start off by introducing yourself and also telling us a little bit about your disability? My name's Eli, obviously. Um, I had a car crash in 2004. Um, I suffered an acquired brain injury and I was in, I'll go, like, yeah, I'll go through a whole lot. I was in Flinders for, or in ICU for two weeks, um, high care for, Two months. Two months. And I was then sent to Hampstead Rehabilitation Centre where I stayed for nine months. And when I left Hampstead, I had 11 months of formal home-based rehab with Birch, Brain Injury Rehab Community Housing. Um, that was with my parents. I had to go home to live with my parents. Um, and yeah, the things I, I, I now struggle with. I will go on for the rest of my life and I'll just work around that and do the best I can with what I've got. Let's, let's talk about your life before the car accident. Um, you were, you were, had a bit of a trajectory. You had a bit of a plan, a life plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, a, I was a, rough, very young. I was always a really active, coordinated, competitive, now smart ass little kid. Um, and Growing up, as I got taller, I focused on bicycle mainly, but I soon found that about 13, 14, I really enjoyed volleyball. I was really good at it. Yep. Um, at 15, I was playing in Volleyball SA Reserves, which is sort of like playing SNFF, SNFF footy at 15, but volleyball. Um, 
I was I went through a lot of uh, I was selected to go through a lot of training programs with the South Australian Sports Institute, um, Centre of Excellence, things like that. Um, I was then a representative of our state in the national championship in Melbourne, in which we won. <laughs> Um, beating Victoria, beating Victoria in the final. Always enjoy beating Victoria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, anytime I get the chance, I'll, I'll bring that up. Also, I've got to relive my glory days. <laughs> uh, and from that championship, I was selected by some national selectors, and I went to initially Brisbane for training camps for a training camp with VTAM, as the volleyball team in Australia men's under twenty one squad, and I said that, that squad. We were all from all from Australia. In fact, I went there and sort of a couple of Victorians had beef with me because I beat him in the final, but yeah, that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I went, then I got through that one and I went to um, the, the AIS. <laughs> AIS, the, the Australians for Sport in Canberra and went for another week or so training. Yep. Um, it was selections for the um, uh, the squad they were sending send to the, I think, Taiwan Championship. They have like, but it was fun to 21s, and I was 17, and I was really disappointed that I didn't get in because up until that stage of my life, I'd got into everything I tried out for, you know, <laughs> and I was didn't understand that being three years younger than everyone else, well. The majority of the people wasn't really working in my favour. I was a bit, I was a bit dark that I didn't make it. But you get that, um, yeah. I I look back on it, and I really should have just come home, worked hard, and improved myself for the next couple of years. Whatever. Uh, I guess that's where my story begins. Right. Oh, so so what? I, so. I feel like, yeah, something's happened then, yeah. So you were, you were angry, pissed off, and yeah. uh, and what happened? What what uh, what happened next? Oh, I saw stuff it. I've been working this hard for so long. Uh, and the system let me down. Yeah, so I had some spite. It was no his fault. Like I, I look at it now, I think I had nothing to complain about. Like I was seventeen, being treated like an adult, flying around Australia, playing volleyball. Like should have been loving it. Um, I, yeah, I came back and yeah, I sort of really kind of lost my way for a while. I got glandular fever just before the tryouts for the state team the next year. And I therefore had just decided, look, I'm not even going to try it for the state team. I'm over, I'm done. I was working full time at that stage. So I didn't have the uh, energy around life to sort of support my training all the time, things like that. And I decided not to go to the training camp to um, tryouts for the under under nineteen state team uh, to the point where the head coach rang me at my parents' house one night to basically 
tell me off to talk me into coming out to the tryouts because he'd spent years training me and whatever. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to see all his hard work go to waste. Uh, I understood that and I rocked up for like, <laughs> I think it was the last selection they were having. <laughs> so all these other guys have been training for weeks and weeks and weeks and I sort of rocked up in the last go and walked in. And then actually, then when I got glandular fever, so I, I had to bail anyway. And through having glandular fever, I started working full time, like I said. Uh, I lost that job, yeah. Um, which also pissed me off because um, I was employed uh, by the president of my volleyball club. Yeah. And um, his electronics warehouse repair shop, whatever. Um, and yeah, he fired me in six months. So I was dark. I was dark with Australian volleyball. I was dark with my club club president. I was just in a bad place. <laughs> and sort of and did that did that impact on your life in general? And did that then impact on on the way that you were driving? Absolutely, um, it impacted on my life in the fact that yeah, I just I started just not caring about much at all. Just didn't. Oh. I forgot to care about my family. So they would have had a pretty hard time over the next couple of years. And I guess from the age of 17, 18, I was working in different places, never anything good, like never anything, a promising career style. Just factory work and tree lopping and asbestos removal and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. just getting paid danger money. Um, and throughout that, I'm not saying that those, those avenues of career don't have good people. The people I discovered were the same kind of people as me. Um, yeah, just pretty loose units. <laughs> and I sort of just jumped right into that lifestyle. Um, drinking, driving fast. Everything was about cars and eight ball and just stupid stuff, basically a whole waste of time. Yeah. How old were you then? Uh, That was from 17 until I crashed at 24. Yeah, okay. So that was a seven year bender. Yeah, so I was right in the, right in the, um, you know, the the prime age group for uh, road trauma. Thinking yeah. invincible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I guess being that 17 um sort of really impressionable age and then having I guess it must also be quite difficult dealing with loss and trauma and things like that, you know, in terms of losing the volleyball. Yeah. Um, and not knowing how to process it, you know. Um, then going off those the rails. Yeah. Well, um like none none of my friends were elite athletes like myself. Um, I sort of, I wanted to live two lives. And when it came to the crunch, it's too hard. So which one is going to be the one that falls away? Well, it's going to be the one you have to work hard at. It's going to be the one you have to strive for, be determined. And the one I fell into is the easiest one to continue, which was drinking and partying and 
wasteful time. So, so tell us about the the accident then. So you you were we we on a you know were you in a bad spot when the accident happened? Yeah, big time. Um, I might just I, I I don't call it an accident. Yeah, it was it was a crash. I I, I, I made the choice. I knew the possible consequences. Not quite as bad, but I knew that it wasn't a good idea. I still chose to take risks. So I have to own it. I stuffed up. I made a mistake. I crashed the car. Who don't like saying that? Um, you hear on the news and in conversations and things like that. Uh, it was an accident. Sort of sort of taking blame away from the driver or the um, cause of the crash. Mm. Um, I, I can't do that. Because I've got yeah, no one to blame but myself. I did it. I feel guilty every day still because I put my family through so much trauma, uh, and I don't know. I've cost the community so much, and I could go on for a while about all the areas that I um, that I feel indebted indebted to. Sorry, I forgot the question. You want to tell the story of the the night of the. All right. Um, uh, as I said, I was living a lifestyle, a lot of driving fast, taking me on the road. Um, I had been at the same time um, a pretty keen and able motorcyclist. Um, I spent every weekend with a group of guys on motorbikes, tearing up South Australia. I've ridden to Phillip Island on the British road both ways. One of the best things I've ever done. Uh, for all the wrong reasons. Um, every time I I um, every time I entered the the the, the road with sharing with all our other citizens, I took risks just for the fun of it. Um, simple things. Breaking too late at traffic lights, things like that. Um, up until the point where I was driving with, well, up until the point where I was in a relationship with a certain person, all my partners before that had sort of tried to, like, really, I mean, understandably, really worried and uh, sort of trying to talk me out of drop, taking me on the road, like, oh, calm down, you know, chill out. Um, the lady I was with, Actually, really enjoyed it. Um, so I was, I was showing off, trying to, I guess, impress her. You know, I, I'm not going to blame her at all. I don't blame anyone for any of my chosen risks except for myself. I chose to try and impress her by driving fast. Uh, uh, I don't think crashing into two trees was very impressive. <laughs> no, I am. Um... Yeah, look, it's blowing me away in regards to how you're taking ownership of it. And um, I think I'm going to reflect on on that. And um, yeah, that's uh, a really an interesting stance that you take on it. And I applaud you for it. I think it's uh, really, really good that you are taking ownership of your, yeah, your, your behavior at that time. So you left the road and crashed into two trees, yeah? Yeah. So, could, could we could we um, then explore 
your back to driving journey how did you how did because that's what this podcast is about for people that are in in this uh area maybe they're trying to explore how they might get back to driving after an accident or a crash um and that maybe they're in a in a hospital right now and they're on their rehab journey um with a brain injury how did you go about getting your license uh back uh, I remember when I was at Hampstead Rehabilitation Centre, um, I started talking about it. And at that stage, I really wasn't in a headspace to picture myself back in real life, you know. Um, I hadn't really gained a perspective on what I'd done, who I was, who I'd become, and etc. Um so right from, the, right from the beginning, I didn't even know whether I was ever going to get my license back. Uh, I didn't even know that I'd lost it, to be honest. Um, uh, and they went through testing off-road, like in the hallways, just things like that, just to suss out my feet. And they showed me, they went, they went through periods of, they showed me slides and I had to talk through them. What, what um, what situation of traffic this was and things like that, what, what a person would do and what this meant and what that meant. And it was, um, yeah, it was almost like retraining. Did you have to learn that? Did you have to relearn all of that stuff, Ali? Uh, Eli? Yeah. 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 Well, was it that you had forgotten? I can remember some of it. So you'd forgotten it? Um, and had you forgotten it because of that? Yeah. I guess so. Um, initially, I didn't even remember who I was, who my parents were. I didn't know who who were or the nurses and stuff. I was really upset and angry for a while. Um, I guess every time my mum came visited, which was every night, she was a legend. Um, that's one thing I feel really guilty about. Like a, a woman with a twenty-four-year-old son doesn't want to have to be driving to Hampstead to see them every night. Like, it's just not something that you want to be doing. Um, but every time, it was interesting, every little bit, bit of information I was given sort of opened up floodgates and then this bit of memory come back and then, oh, then that happened, and then this happened. It was sort of like, um, I got to really ball up again. Yeah. yeah? Um, but the specifics of road rules and things like that, yeah, I did need quite a bit of time to sort of um, reestablish all that. What about the um, um, physical abilities as well? Like the, 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 what about the physical abilities? Did you have like what was? Yeah, that was part of the off-road testing. Is so they had um, like um, artificial pedals and things like that. And they sussed out that my right foot wouldn't be wouldn't be um, coordinated enough for mm. I call listen to my brain well enough to control pedals. Um, so they knew before I even stepped in a car that I'd have to have the left side. So the left the left side of your body works better than your right side. Definitely, yes. Yeah, and uh, so the so the right pedal for the brake and the accelerator there was no good. So. You drive oh, with what modifications in your car now? I have to drive an automatic. 
Yep. So with an automatic, it's got one break in the middle. Yep. So that stays there. And I've just got a fold down and fold up accelerator. Where the clutch system. would be. Yeah? Yeah. Where, yeah, where the clutch would be in a normal manual car. And what about steering, Eli? How do you how do you go about your steering? It's just on my license. I have to drive a car with power steering. Power steering? You don't need a spinner knob at all or anything else like that to help out with steering? No. Yep. That's pretty good. Power steering is pretty easy to come by these days. So that's yeah. Good. So do you guys um share the car and that's why you've got the flip up accelerator? Yeah, we're we're a one car family. Um Sometimes I share it with him. <laughs> Sometimes he's allowed to drive it. Is that right, Alison? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so um, how did you go about kind of finding out that you needed that product? You said some people were sort of telling you. I mean, in 04, um, so this is pre-NDIS. So this is yeah. like, um, so there would have, wouldn't have been that much around at those times either, right? Mm -hmm. So so how did you go about kind of, was there OTs and, oh. and the whole infrastructure? Was that all the same? Like what were you Heaps of stuff. Um, to be honest, my auntie, who goes now by my favourite auntie, um, was or is was a, a, a fully qualified OT. She worked for ECH. Yeah. Um, so she actually, oh, she actually entered a semi-retirement at the time um, and spent yeah pretty much every day. She'd drive out to Hampstead and take me for extra exercise, things like take me for extra walks. She used to wheel me in my wheelchair, holding my walking frame down to the to the mobility garden, and we'd walk around that um, for months, months, months. Um, Sounds like you got a pretty good family. Oh, dude, yeah, my family rocks. I wish I'd recognised this in my first life, you know. Yeah, you talk about first life and second life um, yeah. a fair bit, yeah. So, absolutely. Um, Alison and and Eli, did you know each other before the crash? No. So I only met Eli um, 2013. So it was nearly 10 years after the crash that we met, and so he was pretty um, probably he was living alone um, in a place that his mum had managed to organise for him, um, but with a fair bit of support from mum and a favourite auntie and other family. Um, and so when I met Eli, the first thing that I learned about him was about his disability, because that's definitely a thing you've got to get your head around. It's pretty obvious when you walk in the door. Yeah. I mean, apart from the incredible good looks, number two, <laughs> tell me about yourself. Um, okay. So anybody yeah. tuning in, uh, to this as, as a podcast, you now have to go to uh, to the YouTube channel and make sure you check this out as well, um, and and see if Alison's lying, uh, see if Eli actually is a good looking rooster. Um, make sure you go and check it out on the YouTube channel. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, so you met like a good ten years after and um, fell in love with his good looks, and um, so you're you've um, you, are you a, a much of a support for Eli now? Um, yeah, so obviously at first, when we first met, we weren't living together, but probably about a year later, we started living together. Um, and I guess that, that first 12 months of knowing Eli and seeing all the things that his mum did for him, it was pretty, it was new to me because I'd never, never lived with somebody with um, such a 
significant disability before. Um, and so I think from Eli's mum's perspective, when I moved in, she was kind of a bit off the hook. Like <laughs> she didn't have to come and do his laundry anymore. Didn't, <laughs> didn't have to cook so much anymore. But there's like, there's lots that Eli can do, but because of um, the effort that it takes for him to get around and with the brain injury, the cognitive fatigue that happens, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't have the stamina to cook a whole meal, for example, to be on his feet for that long and to concentrate on the recipe for that long. So there's little things. I mean, he's six foot seven, so I can get him to reach things that are really high up. That's very <laughs> handy. Um, and he's not terrified of spiders, so he's pretty good for getting rid of those. <laughs> yeah, Ali, Ali's actually sitting about three feet in front of me at the moment. So yeah. <laughs> a certain reason to be looking yeah. at the same perspective. Yeah, no, this, is not, this is not a good representation <laughs> of the height difference. Um, but yeah, it, like it really did. Um, yeah, it was an eye opener for me, but obviously you adapt pretty quickly and then in terms of um driving i had a car that i was driving at the time that was a manual so there was no possibility of eli being able to drive that um he had a car that had died it was having wrist and <laughs> sort of a bit of a spider nest sitting in the garage <laughs> and then when we bought a car um that was suitable for our family um we had to get it modified obviously and that and then that meant me sitting in the passenger seat for the first time with him driving. And how did you find that? Um, uh, it was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> put it this way, it was just me and him, not my daughter in the car. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so, yep. um, yeah. But he's actually the safest driver I know. Like, there's... Um, I think because of the... Um, the fatigue and the, the the need to kind of concentrate like he doesn't have a second nature where he can just rely on that to drive like lots of us might just go into autopilot in the car so he has to be constantly on 100% on and that means he's really really 100% aware of what's going on on the road of the road rules of not tailgating people all that sort of stuff he's really yeah I feel very safe with him in the car but that doesn't like he can't drive for long distances because of the fatigue it's, it's really, 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 really interesting. Yeah. Interesting the thing you mentioned about being on. Um, that's something which I think is common um, in this space yep. where um, the, the energy that people are exerting when driving is a lot more than, I guess, if you had, as you said, if it was second nature. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's um, something actually important to highlight, really. Because um, if you're also using controls, all of these different things, you're constantly um i guess processing in your mind what needs to happen next rather than just automatically coming up so um so yeah that's something good to to be aware of and 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 i guess to segue on that when how when the current car that you guys have how long have you guys had that for uh we got that in 2017 so four years, so four years. and um modifying that um so that's four years are you guys now on ndis and modifying that was the process through ndis and was it any different i can't i mean i am on ndis i don't that much i can't remember whether the modification was through them no the the modification that we got to our car was actually before eli was an ndis participant because ndis wasn't available where we were living at the time and because been right on that cusp time when it was changing over i reckon about four years ago yeah, so because of the volunteering that Eli was doing as a peer mentor at Hampstead Rehabilitation Centre, 
um, one of the organisations called the, oh, what are they called? This is why I love that. I've got no idea. <laughs> it's totally slipped my mind. There, there was there was a, um, an organisation that, um, that does some funding for public health patients um, and they were supporting the volunteering program that Eli oh. was doing. And the one, Costa Foundation. The Costa Foundation, that's it. Yeah. Yep. That sounds so ungrateful. <laughs> um, yeah. But the, the social worker at Hampstead organised through DaCosta Foundation to actually um, fund the modification that we needed for the car. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a, um, yeah, so it means that the, the accelerator pedal that I use has to be able to fold up. So he's got somewhere to rest his right foot. When he's driving, the left one folds down. And when I'm driving, the left one folds up and the right one folds down. Yeah, thank you very much for explaining that because that is a question that we get quite often and uh, Ali, you would get that question as well is how does somebody else drive the car? Does it mean that this is only my car and nobody else can drive it? So that really explains it really well. So um, the car can be driven between people's disabilities or, or non-disabilities. Yeah. Yeah, it just means he puts the mirrors and the seat in a completely wrong place. Yeah, well... <laughs> It might be nothing to do with the disability, that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, and have you got any other bells and whistles to your car then? No. Yeah, so you, you've, there's in the background of uh, Ali's picture, if you are tuning into this on YouTube, uh, is something with a couple of wheels there. Um, it's called a, a, a chariot. Um, yep. can, you, do you, can you tell us what the chariot does? Me or yeah, well, yeah, any anyone, yeah, you go for it. Do you, you've you've just um, had one of these installed to your car, yeah? I have, um, I have. It. What does it do to it, to, to explain it to people? It carries a wheelchair. Um, carries a wheelchair. Yep. Yeah. What kind of wheelchair do you have? I've got an electric wheelchair. Um, a wicked blue one. It's, it's actually it's got off-road wheels and yeah it's, it's, it's got a stubby holder and a phone charger it's got a <laughs> <laughs> it's, and what it does is that it's, it's it's basically a little trailer isn't it and um you drive your yeah. uh, wheelchair onto the little platform drive a wheelchair onto the platform lifts it up um strap it down uh then it lifts it lifts it at driving level um and I get the car and drive around wherever. And I've got, it's got a, a when, I, when I don't have a wheelchair on it, the grate folds up. So it's covering the back window. So I've actually got a um, electronic, a camera. On Reversing the, camera. Rear vision mirror. Yep. So it's, it looks really cool actually. When you, when you click it into reverse, it pops up as the camera. Yep. Because oh, cool. um, the camera on the chariot. Pardon? The camera's here yeah, on the chariot, yeah. Down at the number plate level, yeah. Should, uh, should offer that as an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so, look, that that's another... Um, so you can't walk the, the longer distances and that's and that was the design yeah. of that chariot is to, to yeah. help you get your wheelchair around to, to explore the world when Absolutely. you need to go longer distances. Absolutely. Um, and, how, and what about getting from the chariot to the car? Do you just sort of hold on to the... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, fine, I'm fine to walk around that distance, but things like we've just moved into 
in your house and the, uh, the area is all hilly and I've just got a nine month old golden, golden retriever who we're actually, the noise you may be able to hear is our fences being installed. And um, so when they're up, the, uh, yeah, Leo is going to come and live with us. And I look forward to being able to take him in the, him in the neighborhood and take him for walks and things like that. But obviously I can't do that with the walking shoes. So yeah. we could just uh, fly around the neighborhood in my chair with him on the, on the lead. That sounds pretty good. Awesome. Hey, there's, there's one more thing that we need to explore, Eli, and yep. that's what you're doing now post-crash. What, what, is, what is your role now post-crash? Um, <laughs> my role is I've basically created it myself. I'm lucky to have been offered the opportunity to work with the Metro, South Australian Metropolitan Fire Service for the last 14 years um, as a crash survivor speaker in their, what's the Road Awareness Program or RAP, um, run by SMFS. And I speak to, we, we speak to about 98% of year 11s in South Australia every year. Uh, and yeah, because year 11s, when they're all around the age of getting a license, and so that's our target, our target audience. And um, yeah, I've been speaking, like I said, for about 14 years. So, pardon? You, do you enjoy that part? It's huge. That's what I call my, well, that's why I'm here, you know? So, um, I'm calling. I'm trying to turn my personal negative into something that may be positive for other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and some people might know that uh, I'm a board member of the Get Home Safe Foundation, but um, you're also an ambassador for the Get Home Safe Foundation as well. I am. Um, I, don't know, I don't know whether it's that I'm an ambassador for the foundation, which I am. Like, yeah, word of mouth, I'm, I'm right up at... Um, but once a year, they have a Get Home Safe Foundation, uh, Get Home Safe round of cricket. Um, no, Glenelg Cricket Club. Club, and I go and speak to the, the club members and players, and yeah, I've done it three years, I think. Yeah, um, I'm really, really, I, I love that cricket club. I'm really, really sort of um, welcomed and nurtured and appreciated, and uh, it's a really, really good feel. Darren Davis, who's the CEO of Game himself, uh, has organised it. Um, I've worked, so, yeah, I've been involved with him a fair bit over the last 10 years. Um, he's a great man, as are all Games Foundation ambassadors. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, you couldn't find somebody more passionate about road safety than mm. Darren, though. Like, he, uh, he just has unbelievable amount of energy to work on that cause. Uh, well, we're actually uh, hoping to get him onto this podcast as well. So if you're tuning into this one, um, hopefully in the future, we'll get Darren on as well and, and really have a chat to him about road safety and what, what people can be doing, whether they've got a disability or not. Uh, he's, so, he's who you want to talk to. Mm. Just, just give him a green light and then sit back. He'll, he'll take it. He'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds yes, good. Sounds he, exciting. He will. We'll, we'll have a coffee, Ali, uh, uh, and uh, sit back and let him talk. Um, <laughs> now, what from your RAP program with the Metro Fire uh, Department or the, or the ambassador stuff that you do for the Get Home Safe Foundation, what is your take-home message? What, what is the main thing that you would want to say to people listening to this podcast? The main thing, I'm, I'm really sorry about this noise. All right, that's all right. We'll put up with it. It um, makes it real. <laughs> you, can't, you can't actually hear it that much anymore. All right, cool. Um, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the uh, RAP's basic motto is that anybody can choose to take risks, yeah? But nobody gets to choose the consequences for those risks. I didn't get that, you know. I, I definitely understand that now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have chosen this risk. Oh, this consequences, not a million years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You choose to take a risk, but you don't get to choose the consequences. I think that's a excellent uh, message to finish on for our listeners. Um, we've got one more question that we ask to all of our uh, interviewees that come on. Um, we know that uh, cars are used for, for more than getting from A to B. Uh, you've touched on it. You were using it to get to Phillip Island and, and bits and pieces like that to travel. But is there one more story that you can share about what, what a car means to you? What, what's something, that, um, something unique, something interesting about a car story from your point of view? Um, a bit tentative to mention any of this in front of my wife. <laughs> I've got my ears. <laughs> but um, yeah, we met through an online dating service. Um, I, I stalked her. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, throughout the period I was living by myself, it was actually really good to have the freedom to get around and get out and meet people, go to restaurants and pubs and clubs and things like that. You know, it was a really good way to introduce myself back into society. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I would have just suffered more and more depression had I not been able to get out and get involved with life. Um, it's basically a catalyst for the person now. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, you touched on that that word freedom, and I think social isolation comes uh, a lot stronger if you don't have that ability to leave the house and go where you need to go when you want to go. And a car has a a massive part of that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a huge thing. When I was living at my parents' house. Um, I basically relied on the 75% handicap vouchers for taxis um, and I had quite a few taxi drivers who worked around my parents' area, had them on speed, on speed dial, had the numbers in my phone um, and so yeah, I'm just, I'm just taxi everywhere uh, until I got my licence and, and car and 
and I was sort of, um, yeah, set free. Yeah. More independence. I mean, I, I love that. I personally, it's a huge thing for me. I, um, I, something which I always tell people, which was said to me, which stuck with me when I was younger, was if you have the choice to get a house or a car, get a car because a car gives you freedom. The house makes means you get stuck, but most people will think to buy a house, you know? So, yeah. Um, and, and that's something which I really- that's what, that's what I've been trying to say to you for a while. Yeah, he wants to buy a ridiculously expensive car and I do like having a roof over my head. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe when you're older, you know. So. <laughs> With a dog fence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks very much. I think well, we're gonna wrap it up for this episode then. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us and listening in. And a huge thank you to Eli and Ali for joining us on this episode and taking us through your life-changing story. That was awesome. And if um, you want to get in contact with Eli, what is the best way they can do that, guys? Uh, I have to rely on good old Facebook, man. Uh, Eli. M-U-R-N is my surname, well, is my name. Um, yeah, just look me up. Don't Google me. can be a surprises. Um, <laughs> just you know, just Eli Mern, we'll put, the, uh, we'll put the links up in the um, notes below and the notes um, on YouTube below as well and the show notes uh, on all the other platforms. So, yeah, thanks very yeah. much and um, thanks for tuning in. Thank you yeah. for the opportunity, guys. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, joining. There's there's a there's a bunch of take home messages uh, out of this episode, and um, what we do is we reflect on this in the next next episode. So there was lots to learn, there was lots to take home, and yeah, tune into the next episode where we break this down and um, look discuss the the talking points from this episode. Uh, Eli, uh, Allison, thanks very much for joining in uh, joining us, and. Um, as we always say in every episode, if you've got any queries about how you can get back to driving, what will work best for you, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do put you into the driver's seat. And we'll see you in the next episode. See you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Barium. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability, or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.